Welcome to the Cigar Snob Podcast. This is our first episode, and we are excited to launch this new companion to our print magazine and website. Just in case you're unfamiliar, Cigar Snob Magazine is a Miami-based lifestyle publication. As the name implies, the magazine is about cigars, but also other stuff like sports, fashion, art, culture, history, and anything else that you might find yourself talking about over stogies. The content of the podcast will look, or rather sound, a lot like what our readers uh, of the magazine are used to. There will be interviews with cigar makers, stories from our travels, gift ideas, conversations with celebrity smokers, pairing recommendations, and, of course, lots of talk about what's new in the cigar world. In this first, po- uh, in this first podcast episode, we're hitting you with an interview with Hamlet Paredes. Hamlet started his cigar career in Cuba and traveled the world representing Alanos, which is the Cuban cigar monopoly, before leaving Cuba in search of freedom and a fresh start in the industry. He ended up with Rocky Patel Premium Cigars, where he's blended a number of products that bear his name. We met with Hamlet at Burn, which is Rocky Patel's Naples, Florida cigar bar, for this interview, and a shorter version of the interview was published in the most recent issue of Cigar Snob Magazine, so that was the November-December 2017 issue. Again, uh, thank you very much to Hamlet, and without further ado, we're going to just jump right into the interview. Enjoy. Okay, so we'll start with um, with some of the more biographical points. Yeah. So, uh, tell us a bit about uh, where you were born and uh, what role cigars played when you were growing up in Cuba. So, uh, well, my, first of all, my name is Hamlet Paredes. I was born and raised in Havana, Cuba, and I've uh, been making cigars for the last 25 years. Cigars came to me as a destiny, I believe, because I went to the, the family tradition, which is normally what happened in Cuba with these young people that when I go to the factory, it wasn't in my family. My family was more like a doctors and teachers. So I believe that was my, my goal in life. So I went to the university to try to become a doctor, but I realized very soon that that wasn't for me. So, and Destiny was the one that brought me to the cigar factory, the Partaga cigar factory in Havana. Yeah. What, why was it that you decided against being a doctor? Uh, because, you know, both of my parents are teachers, so they always told me, uh, if you want to do something, no matter what you want to do in life, you're going to be the first or in between the three best ones. So and I think I used that one, that little uh, medicine for them when I quit the university. Because I, I didn't feel like I, that's, that was what I wanted to do. So what I did was, uh, uh, I, did, I just didn't like it at all, to be with my head inside the book 24-7. So, and I knew that was my whole life if I decided to keep going with that. So, and then I quit, just simply quit. So. Yeah. So you decide not to be a doctor, you decide you want to go into cigars. No, I had no idea at that point that I wanted to do cigars. But it happens to be that in my same building, used to live an old guy that was one of the best cigar rollers at that point. So my mom talked to him and just he brought me to the factory and introduced me to the factory. Okay. So I knew I, I was almost obligated to get a job, so that was my job. All right. So at that, at that initial point, how interesting was it for you beyond just, I need to have a job? Uh, well, it was my mom. It was a yes or yes. Yeah. She was like, you got to get a job. So my first impression, actually, 
walking around the factory was that I would be not sitting there for eight hours. That's not for me. So my first job in the factory wasn't in the school learning to make cigars. Was carrying boxes from here to there, and it was a very bottom level job in the factory. But I realized that very quickly that that wasn't a good job. So I joined the school, and then I got in love right away with the with the making. Yeah. And what was it that, that changed your mind about how much you, you, you thought you weren't going to like it and you ended up falling in love with it? What, what was it that made it click for you? Well, uh, I think the click was uh, I'm very good with my hands, so I draw very well. And it's a family tradition for both sizes. And my grand-grandma was a piano player teacher. Her husband was a, a teacher in the San Alejandro school. My dad, my uncles, they all, they're very handcraft guys. Like they can do anything with their hands. My brother is good with the hands too. So uh, that, that runs in the factory. The, the ability to, to do things with hands, you know? Yeah. So you go, you know, eventually you end up traveling a lot to do some demonstrations. What, what was the, the process to go from that initial learning to make the cigars and figuring out that you're good with your hands and to sort of the, the, the peak of that career when you were in Cuba? So the, we got to come back again to the beginning, to that day that I got my job in the factory, came back home, and then my mom was waiting for me. And she was like, do you got a job? And I like, yes. She's like, okay, so here's the step number one is done. Here's step number two. So she had me a piece of paper with a phone number and a female name. And I'm like, wow, this is the, the price to get when you get a job? And she was like, no, 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 that's not a girl phone number. That's your English teacher number. So you got to call her and then she obligated me to went to school for a year, twice a week. And that was what changed my life. So when I, after I became a roller, a good one, I was at that point the only Cuban roller in Havana that was able to do good cigars and spoken English at the same time. So it was very tough for me at the very beginning to be part of that little group of people that were traveling around. But uh, I made it, and as soon as I did my first trip out and came back, I was okay. Yeah, so what, what were some of the, just to give people who, who maybe are not as familiar, uh, give people a sense of how much traveling around that involved, and where were you? Well, actually my first uh, time traveling, I did a three months tour around 14 countries in Asia, representing Havanos in uh, Asia Pacific, with PCC, Pacific Cigar Company. And then after that, I went to Europe. I, I've been for the last, I would say, 15 years of my life traveling all over the world. So most of, uh, most of our readers and the people who will be hearing this are, are probably more familiar with what that looks like in the US with a lot of cigar store. Is it similar in when you were touring Europe and Asia or, or was well, it different it settings? It is, diff well, it is totally different because what I used to do was once a year I went out for three or four months and then I came back to Cuba and I was staying in the country for the whole, for the rest of a year working in the cigar store as a roller. Here is, is I, the frequency of uh, my traveling is really crazy. It's like literally almost every week from Wednesday to Saturday and on the road. Yeah. But when, when you were touring Europe, was it, was it stores or was it more like events, seminar type? Both, both. They were like, uh, Mainly cigar stores, because what they do is they, it's like a kind of a, like a prize that they give to the retailers, the best retailers, 
So they, they send this roller that they invite to go and promote right. the product in data stores. Uh, but I did a lot of uh, seminars. I did events, for, like big events, cocktail parties, uh, anniversaries of uh, stores or companies, but mainly cigar stores, yeah. retail. So over that time, what was it that, uh, what, what would you say were some of the most important lessons that you learned about how to talk to people about cigars? Because I imagine that it's one thing to work there in the factory and to get to know that process up close, and it's another thing to communicate those things to people who maybe know nothing. Yeah, you know, in my case, I was, I was lucky because one step that we're missing here that we tell you now, it's like when I, I didn't begin to travel straight from the factory to travel. I, I went from the factory to a retail cigar store company, so which I was able to interact right. with all the tourists that they came to the store and mainly people that had no clue about cigars. So I, I was able to learn how to educate them and sell cigars to people that they have no clue about it. So that gave me a, a big base for me to use it later on in my traveling when I was in front of people that knew and when I was in front of people that have no idea about cigars. So, and what were, and again, what were some of the things that you learned about how to communicate those things about cigars in the process? What were the things that you that that you learned that maybe people, maybe people were curious about something that you didn't think they would be curious yeah. about? Yeah. Well, we, in my case, I do like a little base, basic speech, mm -hmm. which I try to cover very quickly, the ABC about cigars. But uh, there is a, a technique that I'm using a lot, and I still use it when I do events. It's like I use a lot a wine as an example of uh, to compare with cigars. Because most of the people is more familiar with wine than with cigars. So and they come really close to each other. You can enjoy both, and uh, and the process is very similar. You know, the, the weather, the regions, the land, the sunshine, the fermentations. How do you recollect? grapes or leaves and how do you store them, how do you combine them and then in a, in a si similar ways we're different but we're very very close yeah. so and people get get to be more interesting when you just touch that button that is something that they know and they can talk a little bit about it so that makes it very easy to get the, to get to the goal which is to introduce them in cigars and explain them about cigars because you know they I, what I do normally, what I love to do is the, I love to interact with the people. So I just give, as I said, a basic explanation. And then what I do always is like, so guys, here I am. Any questions you have, I'm here to answer it. So I make the conversation more interesting. So people is listening to what they want to be listening to. People don't, uh, the last thing I want to do is to make somebody be so boring, listening to a long explanation, give it so much uh, info that they cannot take no more. So I'm just giving to you what you asked me to give you. So, right. but one question bring to another question and another and another, and that's normally what happens when I do events. Yeah. So, uh, tell me about the the process of how the prospect of leaving Cuba for good uh, came up. When, when did that possibility first come up? Well. To be honest with you, I, 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 I've been always thinking about it as a possibility when I was back there. But because, you know, I, all my, my whole family was there. It's my country. I was born there. I was raised. All my friends are there. Literally, my life was there. So 
But I always was thinking, you know, it's very hard for somebody that lives in Cuba and begin to travel as I did so young in my life and, you know, see what is outside and go back again there. And it's very hard. It's, it was getting harder and harder for me. Plus, you know, they, at the same time, they were cutting me off and off and off. First, they cut me off to travel to Asia, then to Europe, then to Canada, then at the end, they didn't want me to travel at all. For any, for... Because uh, the, the, the answer was that I wasn't the only roller in Cuba, so... And uh, why I was, uh, I was the, the only one that they wanted. And I was like, once, I, I, I actually answered and said, well, maybe it's because I'm one of the few that can do the job in a good way, like, can talk to people directly. I don't need a translator. I don't need somebody to be saying what I'm saying. And just do it myself, and uh, but it didn't matter. So they just called me off, and uh, and I, I had all these like I still have big goals in my life, and I got I got there to the point that I I knew that I was done there, and, and there was no any more uh, way that I I was able to walk to keep going in my life to get my goals, and and I didn't want to be. I always say that I, I, I didn't want to be, and I don't want to be the guy that turns 84 year old and be sitting in my backyard drinking a glass of rum, smoking a cigar, and be like, what about if I tried? What about if I did the step? What about if I have the big heart to do it? Mm -hmm. I want to be the, that old guy that said I made it, or I'm still fighting, you know? Or I got, just got tired to, to maybe, be fighting. Maybe you're still 84 smoking and drinking rum. You're I will. Saying a different thing. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. You know, that's what I came here for. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, so, about how old were you when they when they cut you off from travel, and that idea sort of really? <clears throat> I think uh, I'm 42 now. So, well, I'm 41 actually. I'm turning 42 in December, and I think it was that what that happens maybe like five years ago, okay, five or six years ago. Yeah, and uh, you know when also that. People that don't travel don't understand that that is like a kind of like a drug that you needed. Uh, for me, it was like a, there were my three, four months escaping. I love adventure. I love to meet new people. I love to to see the whole world. I love to see. I get excited when when I see a new city or and that being happening to me now here. It's like a new life for me, being all over the United States almost and touch every city, every state, and and when if you call me that off and you take that from me, it's like a big part of my myself. So yeah. it's not me no more. So I, I somehow I came here to be me my, again, you know. Yeah. So when you were when you were traveling, and this this question comes up because I just recently was interviewing AJ Fernandez, and he talks about when he first left Cuba, the kind of the shock. Uh, professionally of coming into contact with all of these tobaccos that he had never been exposed to before. When you were traveling, I imagine maybe you had chances to expose yourself to tobaccos and cigars that people in Cuba who were not traveling didn't have a chance to experience and try for themselves. So how much of a factor was that? Uh, and how much easier did that make it for you to, to transition from, uh, from living in Cuba to entering the cigar world outside of Cuba? So actually, I've been traveling for a long time. I never had a chance no. to try a non-Cuban cigar 
I never touched a non-Cuban tobacco until I came here. Okay. So that shock for me was when I came here almost three years ago. And I had a, that was my biggest concern when I was crossing the border. So I was, of, of course, I was like, I don't know what's going to happen at the border. Well, let's rewind then. So, so what, what is the, the process of you actually leaving? Well, how was it that you made the move from in Cuba to out of Cuba? So for me, it wasn't uh, that bad because, because of all my traveling, and I, I spent a lot of time in Canada. My wife used to be a flight attendant flying to Canada all the time. So we literally spent sometimes more time in Canada than in Cuba. So we went to the Canadian embassy and we applied for a Canadian visa and they gave us five years visa. So we knew that was our freedom uh, ticket, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just a matter of time. So when that time came, <clears throat> I, we bought a ticket. We got our vacations. So we were not actually, we did everything in the right way. We bought the ticket ourselves. We flew to Toronto, and then from Toronto, we just went to Niagara Falls and crossed the border. That was the way I did. We did it. Yeah. Okay. So fine. So you're you're in the in the U.S. and you were you were mentioning about so the, the good thing is that okay. How did I manage to came with Rocky Patel, uh -huh. which I believe maybe would be another question. Right. It was that. So when I got to the point that I decided, that's it. I'm done here. I gotta keep moving myself and get out of Cuba. So I talked to these two very, very good friends of mine, like brothers of mine. One is uh, JJ Fox, Rob Fox, the owner of JJ Fox in London. And the other one is called Rob Ayala, which is a Cuban cigar distributor in Australia, in Brisbane. So they were in Havana in the, during the November Partagas uh, week event, which I used to run when I was back in Cuba. I spent my last five years working in that factory. So life brought me back to my beginning. I began to, I started making, I learned, in the Partagas building factory, I came back for my last five years to that building. So I had a seat with them and I asked them, I said, guys, you know, I'm gonna trust you in my life. You need to help me to get out of here. So they offered me a job. I, I was like really pleased that they did that, but at the same time, I was like, guys, I don't want, I don't want a contract. I want, I want to be free. I want to get out of here. And then, they, they look at each other, look at me, and they were like, well, there's only one country that you can do that very quickly, and, and it's very good for cigars, is the United States. So they said, let us, let us make some phone calls when we come back, and we call you back. So they called me back like two weeks later, and they were like, well, we did a few phone calls, we got a few phone calls back. Good news. And I'm like, hold on, which was the first guy that called you back and said, I want Hamlet? And then... They were like, well, this guy called Rocky Patel. I never heard about him in my life. And I said, well, that's the guy. Like, you sure? And like, yeah, that's the guy. Send me all, set up an interview, and then I'm flying. And, so so, and, and the reason that you made the decision that way was because it was important for you that the person on the other end was committed. Yes. Yeah. Well, but what I didn't know, and I realized after all this adrenaline just went down months later, was like how big my hard was to take my wife and my son, give up my life for 40 years and cross the border to a new country with, with an interview with somebody that I never met in my life. So, uh, but uh, you know, it works. So, so what was that initial uh, interview like for you? And, uh, and how, what was the connection like that you felt 
with, uh, with Rocky in the well, Rocky was like, you know, I never, like I told him and I, I told everybody here, like, since to these people from Rocky Patel and mainly Rocky Patel, I never felt myself like, like a fish out of the water. I was just moving from one sea world to another sea world, you know, like I was, I was okay, I was perfect here. I remember when I walked in this building, actually, my first time, after we, we get agree and we finish the interview, Rocky brought me here to burn. And uh, as soon as I walk into, it was like, you know, that what happened to every one of us when we walk into, we're walking around this, any city in the world. And as soon as you walk into a cigar store, you're like Anaheim, you know, like that was my feeling here. And I told him, so how do you, how do you like it? And I said, Anaheim. So, and that, that be my life here, which is that make so much easier. Yeah. My, I, Adjustment, you know, to the new life, new city, new tobacco, new cigars, and uh, and in terms of uh, me touching the non-Cubans tobacco for first time in my life, it was for me it was like came back on time again and being that that little young guy 25 years ago in the factory with no clue about cigars. That was me. So and I remember when I made my first cigar. And I smoked it with Nicaraguan tobacco, and I tasted it, and I was like, oh, God, thank you so much. Like, I can do something with this, you know what I mean? But I, I was freaking out before that, that point came. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when you come out of that meeting, or when you and Rocky finally agree to, you know, what the, the relationship is going to be and, and what your role is going to be, what was it? Because I don't know whether it's the same now as it was at the very, very beginning. And how did that compare to... You know, maybe what you were hoping for, or what you what you thought your new life in cigars was going to be. Well, this is uh, but uh, we get agreed was like he told me, okay, you're gonna blend a cigar. We're gonna put your name on it. You're gonna be touring around the country and around the world. You're gonna be like the cigar ambassador, and uh, and we're gonna build your name in the country. That was the goal. That is still the goal. And if we. You are in the business, you know how hard it is to put your name out there. Because this, this market is a, is a monster. I had no idea how big this monster was. And then, even though I'm with Rocky Patel, which is a very well-known guy in the cigar industry in this country, it's really tough to, to build your name from nothing yeah, to helps, a name. It helps that you're with It Rocky helps Patel. a lot. It helps a lot. But, uh, I mean... Yeah, but at the same time, I'm not Rocky Patel. He is Rocky Patel, so I'm just telling you how hard it is. Because a lot of people believe and think that, wow, these guys were Rocky, you know, boom. He's going to be an all-star guy from nine to day. It doesn't work like that. You, you know, it's a lot of traveling, a lot of sacrifice, uh, a lot of nights entertaining people and doing events. And that's, that has been pretty much all my life since I came here. I do like... A, around 100 events a year. Yeah. So there are a lot of events. So we're finally at the point where you have this, uh, this pro how long between that agreement and, and the release of, of the Hamlet cigar, of that first Tabaquero? I, I did blend the cigar, the first one, uh -huh. the Tabaquero by Hamlet, in six and a half months. Okay. So I did 127 blends. And ironically, we picked the number one, the first blend I did. <laughs> so, uh, 
we uh, I think after the, you know after that you gotta do the packaging and made them in the factory and we were my, I remember my first I came here in January 20th and uh, my my first release was here in Bern and it was October October 1st so almost a year yeah yeah almost so for the person who maybe has not tried the cigar tell us about that blend and the tabaquero uh -huh. so tabaquero I did it with all Nicaraguan fillers and I did a combination of double binder in the double different leaves half is uh, Mexican San Andres the other half is Brazilian Matafina and the wrapper is Mexican San Andres Maduro so it's a medium to full body cigar but it has a lot of complexity aromas and a little bit of sweetness but it's more for the medium to full body cigar smokers yeah the new one that we're launching today, the 25 years, uh -huh. uh, it's more for just to fill this big gap, which is in between the mild to medium smokers, which is, I, what I did here was, I did a combination of mainly Honduran tobacco in the fillers with a touch of uh, one leaf of Nicaragua. And uh, the binder is Broadleaf, Pennsylvania, and the wrapper is Havano, Equatorial Rosado. The really trick of this cigar is that you guys smoking it, it has the bite, but it's not crazy. It's just like the strength that is there, but it's not there at the same time. And the beauty is that this cigar have no ligero inside. There is no ligero. The strong leaf is not there. So what I use as a ligero to bring that, to keep that boringness in the cigar and make it just, a, you know, with flavor, was a one piece of Nicaragua, one leaf of piece. That's what I use as a liher. Yeah, because it, like, like you said, it's very smokable. It has. It is really, really yeah. enjoyable, sweet, smokable, but it, it never goes above the the strength. Strength is there and stay there and just mellow down. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the first taba the tabaquero was you said 120 something blends. 127. 127. How many for this? This one, one I did. This one in three and a half months. With 87 blends. Okay, so you're cut it in half more or less. Yeah, you know what? Now it was so much easier for me because I, I'm, I'm so much familiar now with right. all the tobacco. I've been to the factories and the farms in Honduras and Nicaragua, so I did touch it. I've been, I spent weeks there just working in the galera and blending myself. So I'm, I'm getting, I cannot say that I know everything about it, but I know a lot now. Yeah. So. A lot more that I, that I knew when I came here, right, right, which it was right. nothing. So yeah, so you know the initial goals were obviously to break into the industry, to uh, start to get your name out there, which I think you know you're accomplished a lot, especially in that in that short time with with uh, the blends that you've put out. What are the the goals for the future beyond just you know a further expansion of of the, that Hamlet brand? But what are some of the goals? Maybe what do you want to do with your next project? Or, or what are the, the things that you want to sort of, the notches you want to put in your belt moving forward? Well, first of all, I want to keep going doing what I'm doing. Just keep putting my name out there. Uh, I, of course, I have, like everybody, has, I have big goals in life. I have the same goals that Rocky had when he begins, or George Padron, or Arturo Fuente. These are my same goals. But we gotta take it step by step, you know, little by little. So I believe I, I did a start 
in a good shape. Yeah. I've been not like slow, like I've been a little bit like jogging, no walking, so which is good for me. But you need to to keep calm and wait for your time and uh, and and make good cigars. That that's what's gonna put you on the map. Yeah. Have you had a chance to share your uh, post leaving Cuba blends with former colleagues and other people in the cigar world in Cuba? And what, yeah. what's, what's the feedback been like? Because especially, I mean, even you traveling the world, you hadn't had a chance to explore non-Cuban cigars. So what's the reaction been like from from friends from from Cuba that have had a chance to try your non-Cuban cigar? Yeah, well, uh, have been good and bad. You know, like we're Cuban, so you know we are what we are. And that was me too, and I said that in a lot of interviews. The truth is true. It was a big reason that I didn't try non-Cuban cigars before, because you know when we're Cubans and we are in Cuba, we have the best coffee, the best rum, the best women, the best music, and the best cigar in the world. We don't talk about the best of all of this in a city or in a state. We, when we say that, we say we have the best in the world. And the thing is that we believe that, 100%. So that was, that was me back there. Now I had a chance to to correct myself and, and believe that there are so many other good cigars that they are not made in Cuba. And there they are. There are no good ones, but there are a lot of good ones too. So and I, I came back to Cuba already four times and uh, I always bring cigars with me, so I share it with friends. Some of the, the first one, the Tabacero, I mean I think it was too much too much for them. It's like just the appearance of a cigar with that Maduro Mexican wrapper. It was like a shock for them. And, and plus it was a heavy, it's a heavy cigar. So this one, I get more welcome to, uh, let me try it again and this and that. And yeah. uh, because it's more like close to what Cuban cigars are. But my biggest issue wasn't with my friends back in Cuba. It was with all my customers around the world that were buying and smoking my cigar for 22 years. And now I'm just making non-Cuban cigars, which by the way, they are the reason that I'm here now giving to you the interview. And I always gonna thank all my friends. I cannot say customers no more, my friends around the world, because they have been supporting me even now that I'm not in the Cuban industry. They're buying my cigars, even though they, 99% smoke Cuban cigars, yeah. that 1% they save it and they smoke my cigar, which is a big support. Well, and in a way that, that probably makes you a stronger ambassador for non-Cuban cigars because you, you're doing, uh, you're communicating with people that you already built that trust, right? They might not trust somebody who, who they didn't know, okay, this guy I trust about Cubans, so if he's telling me I should smoke a non-Cuban, I should listen. Yeah, but at the end of the, of the day also, um, you know, everybody has their own opinion and their own palate and their own taste. So everybody's free to decide whether they want to smoke or not. Uh, I do believe that uh, there is a cigar for everybody. Yeah. And that's why we have so many in the market. So they, that, that, I was just uh, in a block, you know, like with guys from all over the world. And they were shooting me questions and I was answering and uh, one of the questions was like, so no, don't tell me now that you don't like Cuban cigars and they are not good and now yours is the best. And I'm like, why? Well, Hamlet never gonna say that because Cuban cigars are a big part of my life. So 
So I'm here because of Cuban cigars. That yeah. the world, they gave me the opportunity to travel around the world and to build my name around the world. Now this is a different path of my life. So I answered him. I said, no, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is there is a cigar for everybody. So these guys that can make it cigar that you don't normally smoke and you like it and enjoy it, these are the guys that you should follow and, and support. So we'll just get into some of the more, uh, I guess, quick hit answer type stuff. Uh, so we talked about Tabaquero and 25th year. Do you have pairing recommendations for people with those two? So the Tabaquero, you can pair that with whatever you want. Yeah. It's a, it's, it has the power to, to be good with anybody. You can drink scotch, rum, even beers. That cigar has uh, the strength to to come over uh, any kind of drink, so to pay very well. The in the 25th, I would say it goes very well with like scotch, whiskeys. I would not recommend like a heavy, very hoppy IPA because it's gonna just clean all this beautiful aroma and yeah. and, um, and complexity. But rum, whiskey, scotch, red wine goes really well, both of them. This 25th goes really well. I, I, I'm a wine lover, so, okay. and, I, and I drink Cap Sap, so it's not a light one, and this one goes really, really well with it. Yeah. Uh, so other than the Hamlet stuff, what are some of the other, especially new things that you've tried that you find exciting in the industry? Whether it's Rockies or anybody else, what are some of the cigars that you've tried lately and thought, like, this is, this is special or exciting? Well, I'm, honestly, I, I don't smoke that many other cigars. Uh, I smoke a lot of Rockies, of course. Uh, I'm, more, I'm more into a medium to full body smoke. Uh, I can tell you, to answer your question, because I didn't, I didn't do that lately. Yeah. I was concentrating my blends and you know, and the new products that we were making, uh, and in other projects. So you need to keep your palate clean and don't get confused. But when I first came here, it was a, something very funny that happened to me. So I had no clue about who was who. So I ended up smoking Norteños, smoking AJs, smoking uh, Padron. I knew, I knew who he was. So, and I tried, I, I like it, I like it, I like that cigar too. But the funny thing was that the five, six guys that I was, my pilot, just enjoying it, I learned later on that there were all Cubans behind them. Yeah. And now I had, the, I had the chance to meet them and tell them personally, like, hey, man, you good job, man, you know? <laughs> uh, I was smoking a lot of your cigars. I had no clue that you were behind that brand. But I, I mean, there is, you know, the seal was behind that cigar. Like, and it's, it's very funny because if you go and pick the big guys' names and the Cuban guys, the, the strength, strength-wise, um, it's very similar, you know? Yeah. We have exceptions, but, you know, mainly it's, it's like that. So it was very funny I found, when I found out like, that, that guy is Cuban too. Oh, man. And that one is also, wow. And then I end up like, I think... Uh, no, not even one. I was I was moving myself in six brands, and these six brands, there were uh, well, the only one that wasn't was uh, I forgot the name, uh, Illusion. Dion. So, 
So well, so you see. So sorry about my own knowledge. So in the industry, I'm very terrible with names and uh, so. Well, you see. Well, everybody was uh, the background was Cuba. So you know, it was funny. Right. Is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to get into? No. All right. I think with that. Well, of course, to thanks Rocky Patel and family for uh, to bring me here and to the on board and. Uh, and to make me uh, be in one of these days that I'm launching the, the, the later one, so which is the 25th year. And just keep going. Keep going looking for my goals. Sounds good. All right. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you to Hamlet for taking the time to do that interview with us at Burn. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you subscribe on Google Play, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Rate and review us while you're at it. You can send feedback questions, comments, praise, corrections, complaints, whatever, to feedback at cigarsnobmag.com. That's feedback at cigarsnobmag.com. And if you want to share this podcast with anybody, remember that, you know, some people use iTunes and some people use Google and some people use other stuff. So the easiest way is probably to direct people to our website. We have a page dedicated to the podcast where you can find an archive of all the episodes. That's at cigarsnobmag.com slash podcast. Again, cigarsnobmag.com slash podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next time.